This episode of Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. If you're new to the strange and wild world of synthesizers, modular synthesizers, drum machines and all of this hootenanny, it's pretty darn confusing, let me tell you. Many things that you have to buy. What do you buy? It's hard to know. Signal Sounds are a shop based in Glasgow, staffed by awesome, wonderful people who will help guide you through this process. They have over £650,000 worth of gear in stock, including stuff from super rare brands. People like Erogenous Tones, Folk Tech, Modcan, Rossum Electronics and Winter Modular, who make the excellent Eloquenza sequencer. Plus, they ship worldwide, extremely fast, within 48 hours in most situations. So, if you are looking at buying a synth, if you want some advice, if you just want to chat, get in touch with Signal Sounds. Their website is signalsounds.com. That is signalsounds.com. Now, to podcast. Hi, chum. Yes, here we are again. Fourth episode. Heck. And this time I've basically been out of action for the last few weeks. Um, You probably don't want me to go, especially into what my illnesses have been. My, uh, Well, I suppose what I could say, just to give you some advice, if you wake up and it looks like you've been bitten by loads of insects on your face, uh, on one side of your face, but your eye has gone pink, uh, you might have ophthalmic shingles and you should go to an optician's uh, and then go to an eye hospital stat because it's bad. Uh, you can lose your vision. Uh, but that's not going to happen. Everything's fine. God bless the NHS. I'm on antibiotics. And I put eye drops in every single hour now. Uh, so, yes, that's been a thing. And whilst trying to manage this uh, strange disease, I've been developing my live system further. I, in fact, actually played a gig in London, uh, which went very well. There is a video called um, Mylar Melodies Playing Live at Ambience Chasers, which I will uh, link to. And uh, please check that out. It's like a 45-minute set. It went really well. It was totally off-the-cuff improvised using my kind of live system, which seems to be working. It's The idea here is to simplify the system and, in fact... Just use one sequencer, the mighty Intelligel Metropolis, in order to actually derive multiple elements, a baseline and a top line, but from one sequencer. Uh, the trick is to obviously use different gate patterns and sort of gate pattern your um, elements differently. But by just using one sequencer, it's remarkable. You can get away with having a thing that sounds like two very independent voices, all just kind of counterpoint playing off of one another. Um and it worked. And so, yeah, have a listen. Uh, it was quite a fun sesh. And what else? Oh, I got a DFAM. Uh, yeah, damn, got a DFAM. And there'll be a video where I'm jamming on the DFAM uh, very soon, if not already. And my God, that's a fantastic device. Um, it really is. It's a remarkable piece of technology. It's like a modular patch, a weird, brilliant modular patch that is just sort of pre-patched and you can just jam and sort of make all kinds of incredible mental techno things. I mean, you could basically just play a show with a DFAM and like a stereo ping pong delay. Uh, and so the video is pretty much me just trying to do that. 
like hooking up the D-fan in place of my TR8 um, and just adding a little bit of percussion from the modular and some other like spangly noises. Uh, check it out. My God, that thing is amazing. It's really, 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 really good. Well done, Steve Dunnington at Moog. Now, today we are going to meet the ladies from Transistor Sounds Labs. Now, this is a company that is a Eurorack brand. They make a module called the Stepper Acid. Um, and some of you will have seen the Stepper Acid. Perhaps I made a video about it. So have a look at that if you are so inclined after this. Um, but Transistor Labs are just fascinating people to talk to. Zoe and Nina are based up in Stoke, sunny Stoke. Um, so I took a trip up uh, several months back, uh, went to the house and met them. Um, they are partners um, and they are just brilliant, geeky people to chat to. Um, they're sort of a, a great pair. Um, and they work together to do this business, which is um, really is a sideline. It's not their, their primary business. They're another example of the kind of cottage industry of Eurorack. Uh, but we had a wicked chat, um, and we talk about all manner of geeky things, including you know what constitutes the 303 slide, what actually makes the 303 slide, how they make a module at home, in this cottage industry fashion, how you price things. When we talk about making music and workflow, um, you know, Zoe uh, talking about making music with trackers and then talking about the different ways to integrate modular into the music making process. Zoe has an extremely organized system, which I think is very, very smart and, and really what I need to be doing. And we talk about this and many other things. And also um, a very important point is talking about the state of industry for women. This is such a, I think, a critical point. And, and one of the things I was most keen to talk to them about, I want to address the balance of the fact that, for, as you may, may not have escaped your attention, that there's been a lot of blokes on this podcast and that needs to change. So um, I'm very glad to um, to have the opportunity to try and redress this balance somewhat and to talk about what we can do as blokes in the industry to try and, and make it a more welcoming environment. There are things that we do unconsciously, um, which I think is exclusionary, and we need to admit that and do something about it and be mindful of it, even if you, especially if you think it's not a problem, because I think it is a problem and... It's going to take conscious effort to try and redress this balance and improve it and make this a more welcoming environment. So let's talk about that and all other manner of nerdery now with Transistor Sounds Labs. Thanks. So let's we'll talk about the sort of inception of Stepper Acid in a bit, but let's start with kind of who you are collectively. Um, and so it's sort of like both for both of you, kind of where are you from um, and what have been your kind of individual roots into electronic music? Well, we're both programmers, I think, first and foremost, and both musicians. So um, those are two things we're both quite passionate about. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been interested in like computers, tech, mm -hmm. and uh, and music making ever since I was like 
very very young in what sense you were uh, well you had parents had, that were encouraging you to um i guess from sort of parents are, are very into sort of fixing things and you mm. know you know rather than like chucking something out and so learning how things work i well, suppose if i get this right your father made tools for a living as he, in he what, made like, things that other people would use to make things yeah so, so we're talking like Drills or bench? Uh, we're talking about like sort of fancy equipment that you put in a big <clears> machine <throat> that can like press something down and make up a, a path or something. Mm. Like in one, in one sort of like gap. one go hundred gram. Yeah. That's like, yeah. So like for mass manufacturing. Serious. So he was an engineer? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, I, th- I think, yeah, toolmaker engineer. The sort of maker thing has always been there in, in my family anyway. Like sort of making things from scratch and other than rather than buying things and um and it was really helped by i've got an older sibling that did um electronic engineering degree mm. and i had a load of access to a load of cool things the access to parts and mm. encouragement to experiment with things like when i was young i learned how to program on a zx spectrum as i think many mm. of us did <laughs> oh luxury i, I had the commodore plus four which was mostly known for eastern europe because it's that level of okay. quality is it like a lot tank proof or yeah it was like the after the commodore 64 they made a cheaper cut down version yeah for the people who couldn't afford a commodore 64 or spectrum sure. and that's that's what okay okay what I, I had have. the luxuries of <laughs> spectrum with its yep. lovely keyboard to <laughs> learn how to program on um i've never i my confession is to like the only thing i can program is like 10 print i am cool 20 oh, yes. go to 10 <laughs> the thing you'd run, run. onto dixons and type and basically like, right. like okay. we had an amstrad <laughs> in the family like a cpc 6128 which was like probably must have been the late 80s i don't even know why my parents bought that um and i just remember like the fun of loading games on it mm. that was all yeah like, i was never encouraged to do programming to do what is the benefit as well i mean there's a lot of folks who say that you know you should try and get kids into programming you obviously yeah. got raspberry pies mm. like what does it give you why, why why should you do it i think it encourages you to not be um sort of accepting as the of the technology you've been given and know that you can always modify it mm. it's the difference between being a consumer and being someone who's actually actively creating things yeah i would say so yeah is it important to, you know, contribute in that way? Have you yeah. always felt that things could be done better? Yeah, I think so. Especially, well, more recently when, you know, computers are turning into iPads and things like that. Mm. And they, I know Apple's done efforts to teach kids programming with, like, the Swift playgrounds and all that sort of thing. But ultimately, you're not really, you know, getting low level on on in terms of programming mm. I, I think it's empowering to make your own things generally speaking yeah definitely I th- I, yeah plus it gives a deeper understanding of it i mean whenever i try and get into anything i always try and make one rather than just passively consume one that way i can yeah, exactly. have a deeper understanding of how it works yeah yeah there's definitely like a certain mindset that requires that <laughs> yeah i'm so passive like when i think of things like reactor i always just want to mm. use the tools other people have made although i dream about the idea of oh we tools. have the opposite problem exactly I mean, <laughs> yeah yeah we do like, We'll, we'll be making music, which is fine. And it's like, oh, I'd love to have a modular, though, like Wendy Carlos did, and you'd be making all the patches from scratch. It'd be great. <laughs> Finally get a modular, and it's like, yeah, it'd be really nice if we could actually make our own modules, you know, because then we'd go a level deeper. And, <laughs> and then you get into that, and then you're like, well, I'm going to make my own tools in order to make the module, though. Yeah. Because, yeah. Is that, that's how it got started, basically. Yeah, kind of. Like, 
Um, so, oh, that, so that, after, sorry. That was my thought. I was like, Nina, you're getting back into electronics, aren't you? And how difficult would it be to make a three-three star sequencer? <laughs> and you're like, oh, it wouldn't be that difficult. I could probably do that quite easily. Yeah, we'll, we'll make one of those, and and then like, that's the very, very short version of a very long story. <laughs> that's the start of the story. It's a very short story. It's like, oh, it'll probably only take like a week or two. We'll, we'll manage that, and, and then we kind of evolved it and evolved it, and sure. several years later we have acid. Did it only take a week or two to get a no. <laughs> no, no, well, no. It depends what counts as a acid. I mean, it slowly evolved rather than having a particular, you know, this is the first version. I mean, okay, so this is like the official first version, but you go way back and you can see our old YouTube videos and there's when we had it running on the Raspberry Pi but with no interface, so you had to talk to it via a terminal, I believe. Yeah, and then there was a version running on, a, on an Arduino mm -hmm. um, with just a DAC attached to it. Mm. Everything yeah. else was running in Python. Yeah, that one is. It was just like three DACs loosely connected. And that was when we just started programming. working out roughly what so it was going to So do you be. work from programming into the real world effectively, like prototype it in programming? And well, then... that's, that's pretty much what happened, wasn't it? Um, you were yeah. working on the, on the Python side of the of, the, of that sort of thing to, to oh, do yeah. a rough draft of oh, what it could do. I have been like making software synthesizers and software modules, and then like trying to put them into hardware with a, a lot of help from you. And from your point of view, obviously, you're you're doing the hardware and everything, and it's pretty much all you. So, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, well, this bit's done. That's cool. Let's just lock that into place. So you'll program it first. I mean, that seems like such a, and that maybe seems the appeal of programming for kids is it's such a easy way of making things without without <coughs> needing physical yeah. materials you just mm. need a computer and you can make something you can do something mm -hmm. yeah you it's like minecraft versus lego exactly yeah. it's exactly that and i think it gets particularly for kids it's getting them used to that they can't break these things like they can experiment and they can mm -hmm. You can write code. You're not going to break the laptop by writing some code. Well, you probably could. <laughs> you probably could. You'd have to be advanced so. enough to yeah, do you that. You probably know you were going to break yeah, it. Yeah, if you're worried about breaking it, you're probably not going to. You'd have to be quite <laughs> knowledgeable yet reckless to do so. <laughs> so so I guess that, that sort of ties in with what we were just so... So learning yeah. how to program when I was young on, on a spectrum. but and, and, and I sort of left the electronic stuff behind mm -hmm. for years and years and years and studied... Um, uh, computer science mm. at university and then then I ended up in a, in a web startup um, mm. for uh, 10 years I think or something like that too long so it was a lot of like um, it was a lot of uh, server-side coding and all that sort of thing and that was day-to-day day-to-day stuff so after mm. after coming home from work or towards the end working from home I wanted to get away from the computer screen so I don't really want to be programming synthesizers mm. and things like that. Uh, so sentiment we've heard from quite a few other people into modulars as well. Which is exactly, yeah. yeah. To get yeah, away from the modular is an avoidance of a computer screen in the evening. Yeah, exactly. I spend all day in front of spreadsheets. I don't want to have to like come home and, and have fun with what looks basically like the same kind of interface. Mm. I want something that's different. So yeah. Um, so so following on from that, it's, it's, I started getting interested in electronics when I saw people talking about the Arduino and things like that. I thought, that looks quite easy to use. Mm. I was like, the last time I looked at this, you needed like a processor, you needed RAM, you needed a memory controller, all that sort of thing to do this. There was no like ready-made like hardware front end. Yeah, and then software. I was sort of introduced to the world of microcontrollers and how easy they are to program, like comparatively easy they are to program and see. And um, from there... As when Zoe asked me if I could make, <coughs> make a uh, step sequencer, mm -hmm. um, I was like, yeah, it actually seems quite easy. 
to do. So were you into electronic music though, by that? You know, you had yeah, you, yeah. Oh, we so both you, were, you yeah. both have like this. We yeah. both made music before all right. of this. Yeah, I mean, you made music on your what, the Yamaha PSS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's going back. Sick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Good Actually, name. wait a minute. No, the PS, some of the PSSs are like two operator FM synths. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, I had a PSS six eighty, I believe, or six forty. I had a PSS one hundred and forty. They're like, yeah, they're badass. Like, and they've got some of them have got MIDI out as well. Or MIDI yeah, this in, one maybe. had uh, yeah MIDI out and, mm. and through. Yeah, it's it quite a good little. So how are you? What was your setup? Was it literally just that? It was was literally it? just that and a and a, and a quadraverb or something. Just making no, like I didn't need nothing like that. No, it was like <laughs> that and a borrowed. Um, a cassette recorder, basically. Yeah. It was my mm -hmm. beginnings of making music. Whereas mine was uh, tracking in DOS. I see that's Which is like Amiga awesome. music in DOS, yeah. yeah. Trackers, I wanted to ask a little bit about those because, mm. like, I have this sort of, um, you know, like all electronic musicians, I'm always kind of looking for some magical solution to making better music, which I think is what inspires us to just keep buying things Absolutely. when we yeah. should just get better at what we've got. But like, what is the appeal of trackers? Like, and what, what particularly, what do trackers do so well that people still use them? And are they better? Do you know what I mean for certain styles? Because well, I'm listening to like that Aphex. There's like, a few things that work here. And for site, how do you define tracker? Is it that it's a 16-step sequencer that uses hexadecimal? Do we count it as a tracker if it uses VST plugins as opposed to just samples? And then like you, the old school hardcore yeah, way, yeah. I mean, I know why I use trackers, because um, it was something I somehow stumbled across for free in DOS, and I went to Maplin and bought a £3 microphone, and I could make music all of a sudden. It wasn't yes. good music, but I could make it. And a few hundred tracks later, they you know, got vaguely good, almost. Not that good. <laughs> I think you're pretty good. <laughs> I've actually recently released um, yeah, retrospective album, the early tracker music I made. And, great. Yeah, but there's like about an album's worth of good music out of hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of tracks. Hundreds of like vignettes yeah. and things. But it's yeah. particularly with that interface, like what is the strength of it? Like what does it do well? Um, it's very good for um, if you're trying to kind of manipulate samples in a very particular kind of way. Um, you can if you want it to be 16 step step sequenced and sample based it is really a, a nice interface for that i'd imagine it's very similar to the kai mpc series although i haven't used it personally i guess it's like when you're changing parameters in real time on the fly isn't it as well so you can do crazy manipulation of baking things. data into each step in yeah. A, yeah a quick way yeah you can get quite a bit of data in there but it's, you have to be kind of happy with hexadecimal <laughs> That's sort of the thing I always find yeah. slightly frightening yeah. is using hexadecimal for I, like filter sweeps. I think the only reason I got into it is because, well, A, I, I wanted an Amiga and, and couldn't have one. So, you know, when I got a machine that could actually make Amiga music, I was kind of excited by that. And partly it's just that it was cheap and you therefore can make music with very little setup. So. Mm. Now that I've got a modular, I try and get back into tracking every now and then, but to be honest, just using, say, Ableton Live and a modular is better in pretty much every sense. Do you not find that, like, part of the strength of the tracker is its limitations as well, if you do only have four or eight slots? Oh, generally, yeah, that, that can be good. It's Okay, the, the main difference I find is that um, if I'm... Uh, but the, the kind of setup I usually have is I've got a modular, and I'll record one part at a time, each part's monophonic, so if there's, say, like a 16-track song, you, you work out the length, multiply that by 16, that's how long I've spent actually you know, playing mm. the parts. Um, that allows you, because you're doing one note at a time, you can um, actually slightly change the timbre as you're playing, so it's a dynamic timbre. 
um, you can't really do that so much with trackers. With trackers, it's kind of asked backwards from that perspective, because what you have to do is you make a timbre first and you apply effects to it, uh, back with old school 90s trackers at least, and uh, you would record a middle C and then you write the music afterwards. Mm. So you need to come up with the sounds first and then come up with the music afterwards. Whereas these days I tend to work the exact opposite. I, I make the melody first and then I play it one track at a time on something like this modular. I still think it's a good idea to like separate processes though, like yeah. the yeah. sound design from the music making. That's, that's the I problem. I find that helps because so many people have this problem of like, okay, I'm going to make a song today. And then like six hours later, they're like, ah, oh, I've, I've made that the perfect kick drum, but that's not a song. Mm. Especially well, with modulus as well strangely enough though like my my major issue with making music is not being able to finish things yeah like i've probably got perfectionist i've probably got close to like probably hundreds of tracks none of which i've ever seen the light of day yeah because i'm not 100 percent happy with them which is a weird sort of like also, what percentage of finish? That's another thing. That's which the thing. Is what what is a finish? What tune? is a finish yeah. track? That is exactly. also a question. <laughs> so, I, like, even recently, like, one of the one of the nice things I've done with the modular stuff is I'll be I'll be messing about with something. I think, oh, that's a really good base uh, basis to begin something with, mm-hmm. and I'll sample that into Ableton Live, and then start mucking about with it, and then you you got something going. But by the time I I've, I've sort of like. I think this is really good. I'm starting to get bored with it. Mm. And too much focus on like one particular yeah. element. This is just Whereas Zoe's approach is completely different because you start off with the fun the fundamentals of a track. I'm an outlier in it. And then you flesh it out <laughs> with the details. Basically, I, I write a chip tune, and yeah. if it sounds good with just like sine waves or just triangle waves, then I know that okay, the tune's quite solid. It's not going to be a bad tune hiding behind good timbers. And mm. then when I go and record it afterwards with the timbers, um, I know that's going to be adding to something that's already a pretty solid foundation. Yeah. So just to be clear, you're right. You write the concert, the, the sheet music <clears throat> effectively first. Basically, yeah. With just a, do you know, do you have like a generic template that you just load? Uh, up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it used to. Until very recently, I would write the music in uh, Reason and then I would export the MIDI file across from the office over there to the studio here. And then in Reaper, I would record it all using mm. Reaper as basically a multi track tape recorder. Uh, whereas recently, I'm trying to make the switch to Ableton Live for the whole process, mm. just using one program for both, which makes sense. But I'm still trying to segregate the process, even if it is just the one that's, program. I think that's what I don't do. Yeah. And I think what, I, what so many of us do need to do, although. You know, so much of music, electronic music, is the sound, mm. is the music. But there's, it's just this. It's this, hard this, to separate. And it, yeah. well, it's also the, the inherent danger of going down that garden path and then just being like, Do you know what, I am just like enjoying good sounds. Like mm. it could be any melody, and yeah. it would, it would mm. sort of work. Yeah, like a one hundred and one through a quadraverb or something. It's just exactly. like, yeah, it's just going to sound good no matter what. Just going back to the quadraverb a second, this does tie into something else you mentioned earlier about how we try and have this kind of quick fix thing that that never ends up working for me. Yeah, like I bought a quadraverb like a year or two ago now because. Mm-hmm. It was used by Aphex Twin, it was used by Oteca, and I like those groups, so, you know, or groups, you know, <laughs> well, the guy, the two other the guys. The guy and the yeah. guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, I, I get a quadruple, I have that early sound, and you know, it doesn't sound that different from the plugins, so I just used the plugins and I yeah. ended up selling it again. Yeah. yeah. I, I also bought a quadruple for <laughs> precise reason. Mm-hmm. Guess how many tunes I've used it on? 
That would be none. No. <laughs> I've used it in one. I can't remember which right. one. It's 100% better than what I managed with the damn thing. It's, I, I still have this kind of idea that I'll use it for like live live, mm-hmm. but I'm just like... Nah, you don't I, want to be nah, looking nah, with that gear when you nah, go live, though. So. Nah. And I've got an herb verb, it's like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's it, I'll just use that. The other good bit of advice was one that you gave me, which was to get a Patreon, because arbitrary deadlines help. To, so like, now I have to make you. a track a month. It's good that yeah. I've seen yeah. that. Like, this is not the best month for that, I'll be honest, because it's, it's almost the end of the month now, and I've got to finish it quickly. Well, but... I, I also have to do a video by the end of the month. I'm, yeah. I'm waiting on parts to arrive yeah. to finish it. Uh, so but, but when I don't have a week off holiday and when I don't have a cold, it works out really well. It's good. We do need, like, arbitrary deadlines, because it is yes. it's yeah. true, you know, the work expands to fill the time mm-hmm. available. And yeah. if there's infinite exactly. time, then the work expands infinitely. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Uh, I can tell there's a big difference between, say, when I'm making an album for myself for fun versus when I'm making a soundtrack. Right. The soundtrack, it gets done quicker, and I don't muck around as much. That for someone I, for a project. Yeah, I don't, yeah. like, think, well, I might start doing something if once I've got this other bit of equipment, it's going to be perfect, and then I have the, <laughs> yeah, the right, right setup, and then right. I can start. I no, I, I just get make do with what I have, and you know it's good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, you need an objective. I think one of the, I was, it was some advice that Chris Randall had put on mm. Twitter. He was like, you've, you've screwed up if you've started a project without a kind of concept in mind. That, yes. that you yeah, should definitely. have like a musical yeah. sort of, you know, it's my 202 and 808 stripped concept. Yeah. And that's, I'll just I set those things up and make some music for that project. And then when I've got enough tracks in that folder, it's done. You know, kind of uh, that kind of ties in though to me wanting to have like this one perfect studio that's minimalist and all matching and everything. And again, as soon as I get paid, that goes out the window and I do it properly. And I'm like, no, we can have a hodgepodge. I need to remind myself 99% of people they can't tell what you're using, they don't care what you're using, Mm. they care whether it sounds good, which is a rather sensible attitude that they have that I do not. And as much as I like the idea of being able to say like, okay, yes, this was made using only 808-style drum sounds and it was made using like MS-20-type synth sounds and nothing else, no one cares. So, no one does care, do they? No. So you can no make so much anything you like. Are, it's just like... Right. And then it occurred to me, so if I want it to appear to be neat and tidy, it, no, just don't show them a photo of the studio. They have neat and tidy cover artwork, they'll be happy. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. If it sounds good, you know, and even the people who do care can't tell. Because mm. since people know that I use modular, they're like, oh, yes, I can tell it's modular and everything you've done. And they'll talk about some really old track I've done. And I'm like, no, that was entirely in reason. That's mm. thought. Yeah, yeah. So, I feel yeah. the same thing with people. Yeah. Like, oh, such a cool Juno-y thing. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, hey, it's not that at all. Yeah. <laughs> but let's not worry. It's true. Yeah. Um, but yet we, I don't know, does it, does it, would music, do you need the modular? Should you just, just do everything in software and use like Diva or whatever and... I think eventually you might be able to do it all in software, but there's a certain kind of untamed sound I get from the modular that I cannot at the moment it's the get in- from plugins. instability, particularly on like the yeah. filters and things, which don't behave quite the same mm. in software. Filters, like, from playing with Diva and things like it, it's, it's always the filter is like yeah. a gotcha. Like, it's not, especially like with the... Just to come back to the Juno, is like, when that has such a particular filter sound, yeah, yeah, none of the clones actually do the exact sound exactly they really don't or even like quite often even the same filter just different like units sound slightly different yeah yeah like the components age exactly go weird does this 808 sound like an 808 well it sounds like this 808 i've not had that much experience with real 808s but there was the tip top he Mm. had an interview where he's like he when he was designing the modules Mm. 
that he was testing them against 808s and he really discovered a wide divergence mm-hmm. in the sound. Yeah. They really didn't well, sound alike. You know how many people say want to make something that sounds like selected ambient works 85 to 92? That's not actually got an 808 on it. That's it's literally like something else I was going to yeah. ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the Apex yeah. Geekery. Tell me, obviously we've talked a little bit about the inception of the stepper acid. Why, why did the world need another 303? What did it do that nothing else does? And why did you make it? So we, we wanted a 16-step sequence. Mm-hmm. Why you... Uh, okay, I probably overemphasized the teothiness of it, to be honest. So, so you, you convinced yourself to buy a modular, which was the, uh, the I first... I wanted one for quite some time, though, in all fairness. Convinced yourself is a... That's how everyone gets this. It's <laughs> kind of strange. Oh, yeah, this time. was before you into modulus, yeah, wasn't so it? it was yeah, before okay. yeah, yeah. so we're talking six years ago, maybe now, yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. It's about yeah. the same for me as well. Yeah. And so you had your sort of. Um, I had my modular. I knew a concern I was going to be making bleepy music. I, 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 Did you I, think the mo- melodies were going to. I think I thought disappear. the melodies were, and the productivity was probably going to go out the window. Why on earth did you think that? <laughs> well. <laughs> but you see, my role model was Wendy Carlos, so that's what I was trying to do. Like, Wendy like is that. like pure melodies, but exactly. I still don't understand. Well, Trevor's known that because Ross was, you know, that's the kind of thing I was trying to aim for. So I was concerned about it anyway, but yeah. as soon as you got it and I had a go on it, I was like, this is cool. Like and you can use it like a regular synthesizer so, without the constraints if you want to. So I, I mainly play keyboards. I, I love playing yeah. like music live on keyboards. And so when you got that and we plugged a mm. keyboard in and I was messing about with it, I thought this is really cool. But mm-hmm. it'd be kind of nice if I could get some sequences running mm-hmm. without having a computer plugged in, without anything else set up. I want some sequences running on there. Which was about the same sort of time as you said, you could probably make a sequence, couldn't you? There you go, it was a good timing. So it was kind of good for you. Yeah, I told style. you so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you see, you could do this and you could make a sequence there. And then we sort of decided on the 303 because, well, why did we decide on the 303? Well, I think mostly probably because of our age. I mean, it's not like we were there in the 60s and we liked the, the eight steps that you kind of exactly. do in a, a but, very Well, you originally way. had 303 many years ago. We like ago. Acid House. <laughs> like Acid House music. You, yeah. you, you had a 303, but... I did, yeah. I remember using that and how much of a pain it was to use. Mm. It was really yeah, awkward, yeah, yeah. awkward piece of... Plastic. It was well done with the limitations they had at the time. <laughs> also, it's old, and so the buttons started the to buttons stick. The buttons were sticking, everything. Yeah. It, was, it was sort of... I love that. How? Why? I mean, I I should put my hands up and say I don't know how to program a 303, like, mm. like many don't. But, like, do you know how to program it? And why was it designed the way it was designed? What was I their logic? I had one in something like the late 90s, early zeros. Yeah. It's something like... You tell it where the where the rhythm first, like which the are the notes, go, which yeah. are the rests, and then in the second pass, you tell it what the notes are, the actual pitches, oh and, well, and, and then you can play it. Yeah, then you can hear it. What was the theory behind that? Like, well, originally <laughs> it was not <laughs> it was, meant to be like an acid house. Of course, no, it was meant to be baselines, a yeah, background. Uh, according to the uh, the press releases, the, the advertising for it, this would emulate uh, having a friend with a bass guitar. Mm. The six hundred six simulated having a friend your, your drummer. with a drum kit. Yeah. And and you could practice playing the guitar to these two, <laughs> and it would sound just like a rock band. <laughs> I'd love to hear that music, yeah. that practice, that session. And that must have been the marketing department because the people making it must have known they were yeah. making something that was really quite good, but nothing at all like what they were advertising it as. Do you think they actually ended up pushing a squelch when they were testing it and sort of oh, kind gosh, of liking do you it? Do think so? Mate, possibly. He must have. I mean, 
I don't know. How could you resist not? not well, exactly. And, and if you're QAing something, you've got to just yeah. try and break try it. And break this it, is yeah. another thing where there's this talk about the kind of Chicago acid house sound, and it could only have come from the motor factory. But then they found out there's that Indian composer who beat mm, to yeah. it. Turn yeah. 18 raggers to a like, disco beat I or think, whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think when it comes yeah, it to these kinds of tools, particularly synthesizers, um, the particular tools you're using influence the music so much that mm. I think if you have a 303 and some spare time, you're inherently going to make acid music. Mm. It's just going to happen because that's what naturally comes out of it. It's yeah. harder to not make that kind of music with it. It's definitely true. Like the, the easiest. Also, I was, well, I was talking to, to Tom Whitwell about mm. that, and it was how actually, and Justin, the 303s kept coming up because it's just like. Uh, my thought it was like, isn't it interesting to think how the people who would be acquiring 303s almost certainly were not acquiring the manuals with them. Like there was oh, no yeah. way the manual yeah. would have survived, survived the, the, the transition, yeah. even though I'm sure as soon as you start programming, you were like, don't lose the manual. Don't, yeah, exactly. But, um, Before you can download a PDF as well. well exactly, so, yeah. but you couldn't do that in, you know, in 1989. No. So it's like, what would you do? You wouldn't probably wouldn't write to Roland. So the, no. the, the style of music was born out of an... Idiot, you know, and uh, sort of a, n- a non-understanding of how yeah, it works. A lot of it is a kind of layperson's, like someone who can make good music and they've got access to technology that's, to be honest, it's the, the equipment that other people didn't want to buy. Mm. They're using like, yeah. hand-me-downs and leftovers. Because that's what they could afford. Yeah, the, the Like using a tracker right. is like, that's what I have. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly the same, yeah. Because with the 303, um, it was advertised as like this bass guitar thing sounding nothing like it and you couldn't get rid of them. You just couldn't mm. give them away. Yeah, they were like and, 89 quid or right. Whatever. And then these good musicians started using them, and then they became fashionable because they used it. Yeah. Mm. And this happens time and again. Same with the quadroverb. I mean, that was the the poor person's uh, lexicon. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, the three hundred three. So we, we we wanted to make a, a three hundred three style sequence. Yeah. I wanted sliding. Nothing. We wanted midi CD converters. Only wanted sliding because the slide of the three hundred three is a little bit weird. I was going to ask you about that slide as well. Yeah. How, what is the three hundred three slide? The three hundred three slide is 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 a very <laughs> very simple circuit. Important topics that we can, it's, we can it's put, super to, put to rest. Oh yeah. It's it's uh, I think it's a two twenty nanofarad capacitor. Yeah. Acting as a like a slew limiter. Okay. For when the slide goes on, and um, and there's a a. Um, uh, they use uh, an analog switch to turn it on and off um, digitally, and that's basically it. So you run the sort of you're running the steps through a capacitor, and then yeah, I don't understand how components work. So right. so, <laughs> so, what, so what happens with the co- the capacitor stop basically stops the DC instantaneously changing. So if you, if it's going from like a it slows down the signal, yeah. Uh, it slows down the rate of ch- so you've got like if it starts at one volt and it's the next note is two volts, like an octave higher or something like that, and the slide is on that capacitor has a charge curve, mm. and that is what you're hearing when it slides. That so it's particular a, curve. That particular mm-hmm. curve. Of that is that going to vary? The right note. Will it vary from manufacturer to manufacturer though? Like the uh, discharge curve of a capacitor is that um, not inherent a, to the model? I don't know how much you'd actually hear. But in theory, like different, obviously there are tolerances on different components, mm. so it will have an effect on it. But probably, probably not one you'd hear. But the, the weird mm-hmm. thing is with it is this: you've got multiple notes sliding in a row because what what the three three does is leaves that um, capacitor there right. uh, in 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 circuit, as it were, without the analog switch turning it off, and so 
you get this weird sort of thing where it's it's kind of fighting to reach the note. Like an averaging out. Yeah. Almost, where everything's slide, turning into just one continuum. Fitting it in software, it's basically averaging the last which, few things mm, it was, yeah. Which on an original 303, obviously it was a fixed... It's a fixed slide, so it'll only... doesn't matter how far you're trying to slide, you've got to wait for that capacitor to, to mm. reach the right level. So so what we did on ours is that I added in a... made it variable so that if you're trying to make a big jump with a slide... And, and you change it, and you can basically change it from zero to long enough mm. um, to, to cover everything. So if you're trying to do, like, the full five-octave jump, you can turn that right down, and it will sort of zip right there. Mm. The nice thing about it being fully analogue is, obviously, there's no stepping, even though it's called stepper acid, there's no stepping with the slide. It yeah. is a proper slide. It's an analogue slide. It's an analogue, true analogue slide, which I think is, is one of the characteristics that makes the... It's the, the, three the three slide, sound yeah, one. it How is. It I mean, I've been playing around with with kind of constructing sequences from constituent parts, and I was thinking, like, I can't slide. I need a slew limiter in the path. Yes, it is exactly. just such a funky element. The yeah. thing I, I love slewing some notes, just tying them together. But the problem is with a lot of the manufacturers because they're trying to make what's easier to build rather than what's easier to use. Mm. They'll have it slewing all the notes or none of the notes. And I want to just slew the notes that are tied together, not the others. Yeah. Mm. And that's kind of a, you know, should be a fairly basic thing to do. In so music. you need like, yeah, CV controllable slew. Yeah, that control is, slew yeah that was yeah. actually, that was one of my constituents for buying one was that you needed mm -hmm. to have CV yeah, to engage, to engage exactly. the slide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it can be consistent every loop round as well, just because mm. it's, yeah. you want it to integrate with the rhythm and not to be all of one thing. So... So the, obviously the slide was a good thing. We wanted to get that perfect. We love mm -hmm. that sound and 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 all that sort of thing. But we hate how the three hundred three was originally programmed. It's mm. like I find that like if you're trying to do something creative, it just completely knock for me. It knocks me completely out of the mindset. Yeah. Well, the, the engineers did well with what they had at the time, but it of was course. 1981, I believe, I, yes. like when I was born. So it's going back <laughs> a little bit here. Um, I'd like to think this is the kind of thing they would have made today with yeah, today's yeah. technology, how they've been trying to do. Well, them. they did, didn't they? Except, they have made yeah, the TB3. Okay, they have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they made it like a Tron, Tron yeah. synth. It's, it's interesting. We're still making it as a module. Yeah. <laughs> Geared towards live use. So we, we had a first prototype that didn't have a panel or anything like that after after iterating a few times and we put, I was playing with it mm -hmm. and I got I started to get the feel of how I wanted it to work so I wanted notes to roll in if you held them down mm. and I wanted to be able to catch catch notes so it's, if you hold a note down I wanted it to fill up the steps I didn't want a continuous note yeah. and I think that's kind of key to getting a quick sort of acid like that's one of the things I like about it that you can just sort of go on the, like, <laughs> stab your fingers on the thing stab and it fingers, just it, it does just yeah, it exactly. listens to everything it is but always recording you can play it while it's stopped and you actually hear it while you're playing yeah, it, yeah, you can't do too. the two or three and when it's playing you can play you can it all play in it. It's quite, I always thought it was quite good as a kind of like almost master keyboard for your synth yeah. that you can just kind of preview things and uh, then there was detach mode which I think was difficult for you to explain to me because that was the other to, thing that, mm, yeah so it's easier to just demo it than it is to explain it so live playing it's I should probably explain what that is so yeah. you can you can put in the notes live um, play them and play they, them they get recorded like 
and then if, if you're not you can also like remove whether the gate's on for it you know then you can sort of get a feel for it as it's looping through so yeah so you, you can you can play the notes in live you can do the slides wherever you want them live yeah. which is i, I love mm -hmm. doing that and you know you, you get a feel for it you want that slide there and you can sort of get in the rhythm it live it. yeah yeah mm -hmm. and then once you've got that up and running you could save it the great thing about the detachment i think was the one of the things i really liked was being able to edit a different pattern than the one that's playing yeah. Yeah, that's when it really started getting together. You're like, hey, now we've got this detached mode. What if we could go exactly. talk about and go to a different exactly. pattern? Right. Literally. So yeah. it was a, it was one of those things that was like, I, I wouldn't have known to, to that I wanted that if I didn't have a prototype in front mm. of me. Mm. That's and I was playing with it's it. It's kind of thing you couldn't dream up. Yeah. And like, yeah. You I were, it's only when playing around, you're like, do that yeah it very much that. evolved in that sense so i think we had less ambition when we started making it but every time we reached our goal we were like oh actually now we've done that let's just try a little bit more mm. and then i think the next step was we had a song mode so uh, okay we really should be able to daisy chain the patterns together because people yeah, are going to exactly. want to and of course mm. they are that's a good idea so we did that and then it's like well now we've got detached you've really got to be able to detach into the song yeah so it's, it's like a, so it's just interesting that not everything can be worked out in software. But no. like there's no substitute for play need, testing. Exactly. Yeah. You need hands on to figure out the limitations and mm -hmm. I I think to figure out, you know, the what if we do type well, scenarios. You have to be a musician as well. Yeah, to, exactly, to understand that there's just like that that is a valid thing. Yeah. Um, and to, to have things pointed out. Like I do wonder like when you get manufacturers who aren't musicians, mm -hmm. like how do they how can they? How can they justify? I guess them? they. they how must, dare they? They must. Yeah. <laughs> how very dare they? They must like farm it out and get feedback from musicians. I, I, I guess it's, it's not the same though, is it? I don't know because I mean, it's weird having the the crossover because, you know, I'm thinking something musically and I'm thinking of how I can do that, technically at the same time. So I would say yeah. that after we had the proof of concept done, and we drew out, I drew out the interface um, exactly as I wanted it. Mm -hmm. um, well, almost exactly, it did change slightly. Mm -hmm. And and then from then on, we were working out how can we build this thing so that this will be the interface for it. So we sort of working the, other, the opposite way around. Mm -hmm. just, uh, weren't going from features and then working out how you, would you control this. Mm -hmm. We wanted to know, we want this to be controlled like this. Now let's make it... Design the interface it, for yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, thinking from the customer's point of view outwards instead of exactly. the manufacturer's point of view Which outwards. is something I do also the first customers in, in, yeah. in my day job. I'm also often building my, my day job. Oh yeah, this is a part-time gig incidentally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to be clear, this does not this, pay, pay the mortgage. This does not pay the mortgage. Now, um, in my day job, I do a lot, build a lot of systems with, that need like computer interfaces. Mm. And there are lots of like conventions and and there's a principle of you know, don't make me think which is a book mm -hmm. i think yes uh, that's a good book about web design yes which is about web design specifically but don't make me think is a good that's a good way of thinking yeah. so right. you sh somebody looking at it shouldn't have to think for longer than x amount of time before mm -hmm. they figured out how to use it right so one of the first things we threw out on the interface was no shift we do not want a shift button on the mm. interface to change the state of the buttons, so exactly. they, they do some because that's an extra on. cognitive thing you've got to be thinking about. No menu diving. 
Like, no menu. You can't have a display. You can have any display you want, yeah. but you you cannot have menus. Menu you can't be going like, okay, I want to go into this part of this here, and then you have to like get a pen and paper and map Basically, out. Basically, you can't like, hide yeah. functions behind the exactly. hand to the sides. Right, exactly. you need to be able to go. Where do I? You know, what do I want to do? I want to do this. Where's that feature? It's here, and muscle memory kicks in. Yeah, and that's that's sort of in keeping for us with the whole modular ethos that everything is hands on. I mean, if mm. things are buried behind menus, then it's not. It's lost a bit of that immediacy that mm. that makes the much. Absolutely. So well, it's that that is the thing, and I'm sorry again, citing other people I talked to, but the like that was something that Justin from Abstract Data said that he was like, I didn't get into. My, I've said this myself. Mm. I didn't get into modular to use things with screens. Exactly. That's mm, literally yeah. the opposite reason I got into mm-hmm. it. Um, which is p- partly true, and also I think it's fine for things to have screens in a way like, you know, like the monome um, teletype and stuff mm. is actually really yeah. fascinating because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a very limited screen and it's it's allowing you to just explore programming and programming based concepts yes. in an, in a new environment and in a very hard way. I think that's I think it's fine. Yes. I, think yeah, I think it's think just that's totally, yeah. what what is meant by that is is lazy design effectively where you, yeah. where you if, haven't thought if, something through. If you're hiding a user interface behind a screen, I think that that then you've sort of lost the lost the essence of what what mm. would makes the whole thing work. So I reached this point where, with the prototypes where I couldn't do the full front panel on a breadboard. And I started doing it on like, you know, you sort of normal strip board or variables. And uh, again, it was getting too complicated to wire up. There was just too many connections. So that was the point I learned how to do CAD, PCB CAD um, design. You know, it's, it's not a quick thing to learn. Just PCB to be clear here, so at this stage, were you aware that you were making a commercial product as no. well? It was literally, no. at, at this point, we're I still just... I was aware. Like... <laughs> I thought I'm trying to tell her. You were aware. Yeah, I, I was, I was selling like, it. Nina, this isn't just for me. You do realise at this point, you know, we can sell it to people. and like, oh, maybe it's a DIY well, project. And eventually I... you're like, oh, it's all surface, man. It, they're probably not going to be able to do that DIY. We'll it is a bit complicated to do. Thing. Oh, yeah. I, just, I just made in my first surface mount DIY module. Wow. No bots. Unity me. But I would not want to do that on a large scale. No. 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 Um, so thing. we've got a um, toaster oven. It's a reflow surface. oven yeah, nice. in the garage. For, for so do you make, are you actually But, but it's popular? an Argos toaster oven. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you, wait, so are you actually like, you're making the PCBs yourself, or do you currently now have a company doing it? Uh, no, this is all hand assembled. Holy crap! Right, the the PCBs themselves are made in China, but the actual point all the components on them you is all done by Nina in this house. And then in, toast so them. I, I literally take, bake them in the oven. take yeah. each board, set it set it up ready in a mm-hmm. um, in a in a sort of production line sort of mm-hmm. state. So you get the a laser stencil, which is just like a a very thin piece of stainless steel with some apertures in it for mm-hmm. all the S and D pads. That goes over the top of the board, and you, you then get a squeegee and some solder paste, and you squeegee it over the top. I see, and that puts paste on. And then you've got mm-hmm. a perfect, like, it's amazing how well it comes out, actually. Perfectly placed and correct amount of solder paste everywhere. Mm. And then you literally take tweezers and place every part one at a time. Don't breathe. It takes a while. <laughs> Also, this is yet another thing Justin had told me is that at one point he has consumed a surface mount part. Have you, eaten, have you eaten a part? I did. Find, I found. I haven't eaten one. I did find one in my hair that fell out at an inopportune time. <laughs> I think I found them in your hair. Yeah. It's electronics. So I don't know where that came. It must have floated up somehow. Oh god! And the chads end up throughout the house as well. Like oh, in the lounge, god. there's chads. In the office, there's chads. Oh, that's. We'll come on to that okay. later. I don't know what a chad is. is that? Oh, is you know, like we get a hole punch. It's the, the little holes. 
The little, oh, the holes. That's yeah. That's what they're called. Uh, I know. They're called chads. Chads. So, uh, yes, yeah, so the solar paste goes on. You tweeze every part onto there, and then it goes into the reflow oven, which is a modified toaster. So it's like all, it's kitted out with all... Are you serious? This literally is an Argos toaster. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a premium Argos toaster. <laughs> <laughs> You splashed with, with, out, you're like, this um, is a commercial product, so we need to get... It's got a thermostat in there, so it's regulating it's, the temperature. It's not just a thermostat, it's a whole... So it's got a thermal profile. Your house down. Okay. Yeah, it's the kind of main thing. I'm amazed you didn't make that yourself. It's, so got, a, we... it's got a proper thermal profile control, so the, the mm. exact curve that you need for a solder paste is in there, is programmed in. Um, and it basically regulates the temperature, so it's exactly... But you built this, you made the... the other um, no, I bought appropriate. it. Okay. I bought yeah, it. Good, I did good, think good. about it. I wouldn't put it past it. It's just like things that get really hot that <clears throat> are just... But it works. Out of, out of the hundreds and hundreds that have been through that oven, uh, to date, I think there have been one, maybe two, that needed a tiny bit of touch-up with mm. the hot air gun. It but, works amazingly well. Yeah. Like, it's... So you put them in, it bakes them, and it basically liquefies the solder in them, and they're stuck, exactly. they're stuck and ready to go. You have built quite a lot, by the way, like the thing that puts in the hex nuts. Oh, yeah, there's like a... That has to be done by... Yeah, that's all. Are you built you a tool? Are you 3D, 3D printed, printed a tool? tool like, for yes, that, yeah. yeah there's little things like that. Um, so that's all the SMD stuff. Always a level deeper. And basically, to give you an idea of how long that takes, that's like the stepper acid is two boards, because we... Wanted to make life difficult, apparently. Um, <laughs> because it makes it more stable. <laughs> it does. It makes it, it the timing is. This thing's really stable. This thing could be on playing, and like you could disconnect the two boards from one another, so the interface isn't talking to the sequencer anymore. Connect them back together again, and it will it will not miss a beat. Oh, it'll really? Play throughout. I was going to say. Well, I thought Don't you meant physically it. stable because I would like to posit the stepper acid was one of the easiest modules I ever photographed. Mm. Because it can prop oh, itself too. up. <laughs> it can prop itself up. Yeah. So SMD stuff. So mm. it's two boards, and we de- tend to build them in batches of 25, which is a common number you probably hear that people build. I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah, it's why 25 is the magic number. Is it just... it's a nice round number? Uh, I, d- I don't know. It just seems to work out that way. It's, it's just sort like of strange. the golden ratio of cost effectiveness. For... So manually. Um, placing the SMD parts takes, I can do one set of the boards, I can do 25 of them in a very long day. Mm. So we're talking like, you know, 12 hour a day, something like that. And there is a, you know, once you open some of those chips, you've got to get them on there quick because otherwise you're going to have to pre-bake them, which mm. is a whole other thing. Okay. Um, uh, so you can do 25 of those in a day, 25 of the other board in another day. And then basically a whole week doing through hole soldering. Oh, crap. To finish off. To finish the 25. Bits of arms, like pots and like jack sockets. Exactly. And, all that stuff. And, and by the time you've sort of you've got the final assembly and buttons, packaging. I suppose buttons. Yeah, today. even that doesn't quite finish it. Yeah, you've got to put the buttons on and little things like with the seven Sega LED here. I think mm. most people just leave that as it is, but then you've got a, um, a vinyl cutter. Oh, and yeah. you put a little screen over the thing. thing yeah, put yeah. a screen over it. So you can't same, prod it. Uh, same you thing. You get dust in it, I suppose, well, if you didn't. Some of them has yeah. Yeah. It's little things. Yeah. We're talking two solid weeks to make 25 of them. Yeah. Something like and that. Yeah, you sell them for £295 a piece. I know, it's a bit of a... I keep telling you that too. Like, it, it, I, like we were talking about it before we came over. It's like the price. It's interesting, like pricing is a kind of a fascinating 
topic because mm-hmm. it's like what do you charge for things and yeah. people don't realize it there literally is obviously mm-hmm. you've got to cover your costs exactly. and so forth and you, you've got to build in margin for dealers if there's exactly. a dealer network but ultimately there is kind of a psychology to a price and that has yeah, to be I thought about so. yeah it's like don't be too cheap i think is the sort That's of what don't be too cheap originally i won't tell you exactly I'm what i originally was thinking of selling price. it for but it wouldn't have been any i wouldn't no. have been able to do it you wouldn't have been able to have a dealer network certainly it wouldn't have worked yeah, it just, just wouldn't, wouldn't see, have worked we're a good partnership Nina has the skills I have the esteem just value yourself for yeah, God's exactly. sake. Like, there are a lot of little parts though that go into it there's not just like the assembling of the boards it's all of the there's the manual assembly and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff and then you've got to box them you've got to wrap them test them Test oh yeah, testing. Supporting not even to the ones that are out, out in the network. Plus well. the original, what, two years of actually designing it. That, you, know, you need to pay for that idea. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the original, I actually got hold of, was built up stock to, I think it was 50. I did originally before we said it was available. And they went very, very, very quickly. They were all direct sales at first, mm-hmm. which was really good because it cost a lot of money up front to get panels made yeah and it's like all things. the testing stuff and the equipment test equipment and all that like sort of pays stuff for a lot of that like you know 350 quid soldering iron that sort mm. of thing and fume extraction because nice. like it's just all it's all good but it's all, it's huff, all huff like that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the there's stuff. only so much of that you can take <laughs> um so there was like the, the, so the initial and and each and every time we've sold out i'm like oh you know, oh, yeah, I wonder how many more will we'll sell now. And then, sure enough, the the orders just still keep going in. It hasn't let up in the entire... Mm. Since we started making them. So. It's amazing. It's really good. So what's next? What's next? My lad to ask that. How much we had to say? We can cut this out. <laughs> we can, you can say as out. much or as little as you want, or you can say too much. Well, it's a bit, of a, a bit of an open secret that we've been working on a drum equivalent for a long, oh, for a little yes, while now. It's actually. a sensible next choice. I mean, I, I think lots kind of, of people have had this idea, like, oh, we should make a drum one next. Like, yeah, we've, we've had that idea too. But there are, there, you know, the age being what it is, there are now, like, you know, there's the acid lab thing exactly. as well. Yeah, there yeah. are kind of 808 style things. Right. How will you... How what do you see perceive as problems? It. I mean, you don't have to say too much, but it's just like, what problems are there to be solved? What problems? I guess the the main thing we want to solve is the um, immediacy of getting something in, like mm-hmm. the speed at which you can get uh, a drum loop or an acid loop in is is key. Mm. I think. Do you mean therefore not doing anything one by one? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Something I'm basically, from my own point, and this is just like, I'll just say things and you can see if you agree with me, okay. but like, like I, and I've mentioned this to you, I think, is, you know, I want things that, that have kind of Euclidean seeding of, of patterns to be an option and to blend them with manual patterns. Okay. I'd like to be able That's to say, I always want the clap on like the two and the four, mm-hmm. but my hats, like, I'm pretty much up for your, whatever suggestions you want, machine, so... Do that. Let, give me yeah. some dials to let me. I think it's. I think there's yet to be a good drum sequencer, especially like a commercially available drum. There aren't, as far as I'm aware, commercially available drum machines that have the kind of like mutable instruments called grids methodology yeah. built in. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Personally, I'm a lot more like BT as a musician. I'm happy these <laughs> other things exist, but I think BT says something like, I, I treat my module like a coffee maker, you know? If I press the button, I 100% definitely want a coffee right now. You know? <laughs> 
They want something else. Yeah, I know what they tell one. Let me enter them as easily as possible. You know. See, I get that. Well, I'm for my part. I'm mm. like, I always want my modular to inspire me. Yeah. And so mm. I actually do. I want it to give me a, a little bit more than what I put in. Yeah, I can know? see that. Yeah. Well, that's kind of. But well, within reason. Within reason. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I want to be able, so, to, able to stop that happening. One of the things that we wanted to encourage with the stepper acid was like things that happen by accident because of the live looping of it and all that sort of thing you can you can as you were saying earlier you can just sort of bang bang notes in and something will sound good mm. as long as the notes are you know reasonably to a scale in key or scale yeah, yeah. um something good will come out of it and i guess from that that sort of point of view that's kind of different to when say in in say software you you're, you're trying to do step sequencing you're dragging notes on doesn't have the same feel about it mm. for me and I quite like that literally it did, yeah like quite literally mm. uh, and I don't feel as involved with it and I feel a little bit sort of like detached from what mm. yeah what it is that I'm trying to do um so the, the, the sort of drum sequence is going to follow in a similar mm. thing particularly with modulars and this is thinking more about like actual music making it's like how mm. what is your advice for productively evolving modulars Obviously, we talked a bit about process with user. I mean, yeah, it's like... segregation helps. Um, so there's also one or two things I could say if you're interested about um, uh, why to use a modular. Go on, uh, yeah. Okay, right. Because <laughs> part of what gives it its sounds, the, the, the kind of music I make, which is, again, kind of idiosyncratic and weird, and I get it's not for everyone, but part of the sound is that I'm using a lot of dope for modules here, partly for variety and partly because they're cheap and they mm. kind of sound a bit cheap. Um, I mean, there's the... I think dope for stuff sounds great. It's like... It does sound uh, great because it's cheap. <laughs> the same way the Citi C64 sounded great. Okay, the way the human ear works, we like a bit of imperfection. Yes. This is what makes it better than software, in effect, is, it's inconsistent. is that it's a bit cheap and nasty and rough around the edges, which we kind of touched upon a bit. The unfortunate thing here is that um, a lot of fashion, and even when it comes to, say, making music, is showing off that you've got more money than other people, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. As someone who mostly, you know, didn't have any until recently, you know, just it took us that long to save to, you know, to get this place and everything, it is really unfortunate because, you know, it shouldn't be that way. But a lot of what gives my music the sound is having the analogue stuff that you just can't get with plugins, and that's annoying. I cause think there's definitely something to say about... It's bad advice, but it's true. ...about giving yourself a limit mm. and then working within that limit. Like, So if it's a case of modular, give yourself, you know, three rows of 104 HP or whatever mm. and stick with it. Mm. Don't think that like you know also what, make stuff now don't wait until the next thing you yeah, don't exactly. wait until you've got so that module you, to use it yeah. exactly so so get get a nice setup yeah swap things in and out but try and don't let the whole thing grow out of all control mm. <laughs> i guess it's like yeah if you, if you have a limited space then it, it kind of forces you to solve problems exactly more efficiently. and you're, you're not really solving problems by just buying more stuff exactly i'm finally at the point where i don't really buy like modules to see what i can do with them mm. i notice oh i need to be able to do this and cannot with my current setup yeah. therefore i will buy therefore this. i therefore with, i need that specific thing. yeah i think that helps Plus, a lot of the time, it turns out I don't need that specific thing if I just think a bit more laterally, which is what modulars are all about. So, so your sort of flow workflow is to do your sort of chip tune thing first and mm -hmm. then you add the timbres later. Very much so, yeah. The way I, I like to work, and I think is the way a lot of people do it, is they'll, they'll tinker with the modular for a bit, 
I'll come up with some interesting sounds. I'll get them recorded in. I think some people just leave recorders running constantly mm. as they're messing about, and then mm. they'll go through after and find the bits that are It's always hard to know when you're about to do something amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I guess I, I've been more into making like loops and things on the modulo, which is something I, I really like doing that sort of thing, and then capturing those and then layering them together. Mm. Um, yeah, there's no like right or wrong answers. It's what works best for each yeah. person. I mean, yeah. we yeah. have very different workflows, yeah. but they're both good, and we can still collaborate. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just like I, I do find I just go down rabbit holes sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's it's particularly if I'm trying to involve the computer. Hmm. And like what I should really be doing. Uh, basically, what I end up doing is just making exclusively modular music or exclusively computer music. Mm, I find it really hard to combine the two things because when I'm composing on the computer, I kind of go to the module. Oh, I just want that sound, mm. and it's the my problem is I'm doing it during the writing process, and yeah. therefore you just then spend way for you spend hours trying to get a hi hat. Exactly. Well, you, know? you could yeah. try making a computer track, and then like once you finish, you're like, actually, maybe this one sound with the two of these sounds, I could just swap out for exactly. the modules, and it just gives it. And action. again, that's basically what I've ended up doing because it's the only practical the only way, way I can do, do it. it. Yeah. Like, it's like having your blueprint or your, your sheet music before mm. you. Yeah. Oh, well, can we briefly talk about multi-track tape recorders? Because this is <laughs> what a, okay. Yeah. This is a fantastic invention that really revolutionised <coughs> pop music that I don't think people talk about enough. Like they think uh, electric guitars made a big difference and a few other instruments, but no, multi-track recorders made a big difference. You can mm. tell when the four-track came out, when the sixteen-track came out, and a lot of what I would consider the the cheating that I do is layering up multi-tracks. Because do you mean just? Making things sound bigger with multiple iterations. Yeah, very yeah. much so. I mean, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I have the best monosynth or a terrible polysynth. Mm. But it's a monosynth, fine. But if I want to have a chord, I just record a note, then go back, record the next note, mm. go back, record the next note. It's a fantastic sounding synthesizer yeah. for that. You can modify like the filters on each of those as well. Yeah, and you can do a whole bunch of things. You can blend, say you want a really nice kick drum, and it's got to have, say, uh, a snare drum. It's got to have the, the snare part, which is the the actual metal dangly bits on the snare drum and then you've got the drum part the actual you know the, Body, the membrane yeah, yeah. yeah um say you can't do that in one patch you haven't got enough modules well you could do it in two patches yeah. and then multi-track them together don't, and it just, sounds like don't just go and buy more modules yeah. just bloody read yeah. and yeah. layer like, yeah. if you yeah. want a hand clap sound you just have uh, a bit of white noise, bandpass filtered, and a decay for the VCA. Very simple. Uh, it's the sounds of about three or four of those. You have to do like multiple but, quick yes. successions, yeah. don't you? Like, or you could just do one multi-track and just <laughs> copy and paste it three or four times and slightly offset them. Exact yeah. same result. Yeah, well, exactly. yeah, but there is something nice in the like each each Every of those. Everyone has a different sound. Actually, a different yeah. sound. no, you do need to record them separately rather than copying and pasting. Otherwise, you get the phase cancellations. I found that out the hard way. That's, but yeah, yeah. But the point is, you can just have uh, one uh, decay, one VCA, one white noise generator, one bandpass filter. You don't need like you know three or four. Mm. You can just multi-track it. I did discover, like, I was reading the Gordon Reed article, Synth mm. Secrets one, and there was one about hi-hats. I love those. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's incredible. <laughs> it's just like, my God, like, um, you've forgotten more than I will ever know. Um, but the there's this thing on hi-hats where it's using, like, I forget the, the exact... The square wave generators. Yeah, like uh, FMing not, square, yeah. basically like FMing square waves. It's, with it's square called waves. a mess. Then you high-pass filter it. Yeah, I never like, get that to work. Well, I, I actually did... Basically, I was playing around and it wasn't quite working. And then suddenly 
It made it suddenly made the exact sound of the hats in <laughs> nice. the Yamaha VSS two hundred oh, keyboard. Nice. Oh, that's cool. like the sort of cheesy hats. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, obviously that's how they're derived because yeah. it's the same. It must be that. Well, that's got. meant to be how the eight to eight hats are done. And there's a for module which is just the uh, you know, like, like, these the six square waves that yeah. are discordant. But I can never high pass filter them. Um, maybe I'm doing it. Clearly, I'm doing it wrong. But I'm not sure in what way I'm doing it wrong. I just use white noise. Mm. <laughs> I do love like reading through Dope First website where it, mm. you know it says that like I was reading about the random uh, voltage generator and it was like mm. da, da 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 and this cannot be realised with other modules. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just that's, like that's a yeah, that's a really yeah. good like point it's just yeah. like if you weren't wondering that one, it, it's yeah. implying that you that's that's the correct way is that you yeah. modularize the process and that's why exactly. a lot of these things are so simple and people go oh you know i want multi-function things it's like, I, like, I, this is yeah. like yeah i prefer discrete single function things mm. personally well that's um, like the unix philosophy so going yeah. back to more geek roots here <laughs> but it's about having a set of tools each tool does one thing very well mm. So, you know, it's a white noise generator that does that one thing very well. It's a VCA that does that very well. Mm. Oh, that's another thing about um, the whole analog sound. A lot of it is if you're not necessarily knowing how to use it properly. When I first started making this music, it, it sounded really kind of broken and wrong. One thing I didn't realize it was like an acoustic instrument in that you have to tune it. Mm. So my first like well, albums worth the modular stuff was out of tune. Yeah, yeah, it was in like you know F sharp and a half major. <laughs> so <laughs> I only discovered that when I was trying to overlay some string samples it and never fit. Yeah, yeah. I had to detune them to match from the sampler. Um, another thing is with the uh, the VCAs. Um, I think I, I, at first I didn't know what the game one does, and it's just how open it is all the time. Mm. Uh, I didn't realize that. So I was like, oh. I don't know what it does. It I want to have bit. it fully closed. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, I always want a bit of that, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then people complimented me. and like, oh, yeah, like I got a bit of discordant noise at the beginning. It's like, yeah. yeah. That's it, all part of the charm. It is part it of is the part charm. Of, it is like, I mean, that's, I've been like fanboying over Stevio forever and mm. he's basically kind of always got his oscillators droning in the background. Mm. Yeah. They yeah. never fully disappeared. So, yeah. but then it becomes, I think. It's, the noise. It's, but it's exactly, but then you have to have a, Good ducking, I think, so that the kick yeah. drum always like always knocks pokes out. through. Yeah, because that's I think for like especially live improv modular, mm. the beauty is you can sort of just do anything, but you always need the kick drum to be available. And when you yes. when you've you know when you've dropped, it has, it has to be to audible be when it comes back. Yeah. Otherwise, people are just like what's yeah, it's just you like, lose your kick in a live gig. I think you've yeah, lost. That's it. You've lost everything. <laughs> I tend not to sidechain compress all that much. I mean, I do it like say with the kick drum versus just the bass, but not with the whole mix. Just but suppose it, if it's it, a it good all, mix, then yeah, you, you're, you're, you're fine. Good, yeah. It's just that thing of like a fail safe. So it's like yeah. if I mm. screw everything up and I've got crap levels, mm. at least the kick at drum least will the be kick still will go through. Oh, yeah. through. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. One of the things which um, I want to talk about is basically women in music technology mm -hmm. as well, especially because it's like, especially with like this whole <clears throat> synthrotech thing and all of the other thing, like, oh, that, yeah, that, yeah, that was all which is just like, Ugh. but like, it's sort of, I mean, my my approach. I mean, I'm a I'm a bloke, and it's just like I I'm looking at the industry and trying to see it from from a woman's perspective. And mm -hmm. I guess my question, it's more just like a talking point because mm -hmm. it needs to be talked about, mm -hmm. is the kind of um, I feel like things are getting better and that that people are waking up um, to 
the way that the industry is not welcoming inherently. Mm. And it's like one of the things that I've noticed particularly is like the use of language in, in stuff, you know, where it's like, you know, hey, guys. And it's like that the assumption that that basically you're talking to, especially on forums, when it's like you don't see people's yeah. faces, that it's it's a it's a boys' club. I think, and, and the way you name the forum, for instance, uh, gear sluts will be gear on. sluts and muff wiggler being a point. <laughs> yeah. And my my question is 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 that still a problem? And what well, I, what is getting better? And what I needs to change? The still? broader sort of the broader sort of like internet forum thing is perhaps not not exclusive to music technology. No, like so. if you if you go on. Reddit, heaven forbid, or you know, <laughs> which I have you know. been known to do. <laughs> um, the same assumptions usually apply. It's the the default assumption is that everybody you're talking to is a bloke. I still, I still find it weird that that is. It's, but, yeah, it is a kind of strange thing, but you do know, like if you're looking for it, you notice it all the time. Um, I think and the main thing I just want to sort of what, the question is like is whenever that is raised as an issue. Yeah. But there's usually a, in, in all, always there'll be a bloke who comes on and goes, "This is not an issue." Like, there's also but girls are thicker skin than this. <laughs> there's also always that one guy inevitably who will say, "Oh, women biologically just aren't into this uh, because of bio truths." That that's that's <laughs> and it's like, no, women are put off by this for this exact kind of reason. This yeah. is an example of how you're putting women off. The hell? <laughs> how can you not see that? I think it's 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 quite it's really interesting because we've been involved with the. Um, Yorkshire Sound Women's Network, uh, network um, helping out when we can and mm. and doing um, soldering workshops, soldering workshops yeah, for yeah. Uh, uh, young girls. I think they're mm-hmm. like sort of eleven, twelve mm-hmm. age, age group. Yeah. And the fascinating thing about uh, having done those is that okay, they're nervous about you know they're handling hot things when they begin, mm. but how quickly they like they feel like they've accomplished something. And they're using these sort of, you know, grown-up tools mm-hmm. to uh, to build something. And, and when it works, it's you can, you can just see that, like, the look... They, they get a look on their face that they've, like, I can't believe I've just done this mm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that should be, to me, that should be normal. That should be... You know, it shouldn't be exceptional. It shouldn't be exceptional. It shouldn't need to be remarked on. Either. Exactly. I mean, it it shouldn't be even be remarked on. Which is, the, I know, this is the irony of me bringing this up, which we shouldn't even need to talk about this. It's just... In an ideal world, you wouldn't be having this yeah, conversation. Exactly. And the, the weird thing about this is you can you can almost can't have this conversation without somebody piping up and saying you don't need to have it, which is... Yeah. I'm sure it'll be in the comment section of this video. Which is usually a bloke saying it, which is... Yeah. And my, my default standpoint with this... Well, they're the ones who, who can't see it. Like, as a white exactly, person, I don't notice racism like, that much because exactly. it doesn't affect it's me. Like you, what you, you just cannot understand this problem if you are a bloke. And it's you You just... Uh, with the best one in the world, you have to, you take just have to shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> yeah. Just, just yeah. fucking listen. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely... Yeah. Being involved with that, the, the Yorkshire Women's Sound Act, it's been, it's been really interesting. I mean, there is no gender to being interested in technology. Exactly. If you let me digress for a second, okay. okay. Feedback loops. Okay. So say like you've got um, a tape delay and you're recording something and you you know you feed it back in and if you amplify it, then it gets louder with each version until it's too loud and you 
got to turn that down. Thank you very much. Oh, my little ears. Right. You get exactly the same thing with, say, sexism. Uh, if something is like, say, 60% boys, 40% girls do it, then it's going to be advertised as exclusive to boys because yeah. that's a slightly bigger market to go after. The advertisers will act as if girls just inherently do not like this at all. Uh, which is exactly what happened in, I think, 1983 with computers. Up until that point, programming was seen as women's work. Right. Because yeah. it was typing. It, you know, it's an intellectual, non-muscly, requiring type thing. It, you know, it, it's... Yeah, it's something that was just seen. Okay, women do the typing. It's uh, women do all the secretarial work. Programming is making a so list of tasks to interesting. do. Interesting. It involves the same, same with editing as well. When yeah. editing first came out, it was seen yeah. as sewing. Mm-hmm. So exactly. there's a lot of female yeah. editors, like yeah. Werner Fields and stuff. Right. So computers were exactly the same until around about the eighties. Home computers come out and they're marketed. All of a sudden, now they're marketed to boys. Now it's seen as something that boys are into and girls are. Why wouldn't it just then be marketed? Yeah. To and girls? then you just see women in computer science as Completely, oh, wow. it dropped off. Yeah. yeah, at the same time. At the same time. Yeah, As a result, what? most Funny likely, me. yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, right? What then happened is, say you're trying to learn computer science, uh, uh, college or university, it's assumed that you've already studied it uh, at home on your own time. Yeah. Which, if it's been marketed to you and to your parents, that is something that you're going to be interested in. It will have been, otherwise, it won't. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like the industry itself. It's mm. mad how it's uh, like. And how, obviously, it makes a huge difference. Well, we're, we're, the, we're susceptible to how we're marketed to. Yeah. But at the point, I think there's probably more trans women than cis women into computers because it's just marketed that much towards parents who think they have boys. The women like it. It's just mm. they don't get the opportunity to learn that. If you know, people realise that the girls at that age, and then they just don't you know, they deny them that opportunity to to learn on such a thing to begin with, mm. which is a shame because programming is when you've got a thing and you can get it to do your bidding and it's such an empowering thing mm. there's uh, nothing at superhuman speeds no there's less. nothing boy like or girl like about that it's no, just just exactly. it's like lego certain it's people like, find that like, fun the kind of people like puzzles and things mm. they will like that and yes lego minecraft at least it's into minecraft to get into programming it's good yeah. <laughs> do you think then as as this sort of generation ages then that balance that 60 40 will just just fade and all of the online conversations it, help, and, and the... it takes a conscious effort i think that it's not like there's any one particular thing that's wrong or one particular thing you can mm. easily fix mm. it's a whole bunch of lots of things working together systemically a lot of them are inadvertent as well yeah. i mean i think most of them are conscious small things and therefore when people to do it when people purpose, bring it up the they're like well it's not a big deal but that's yeah. just a small piece of a very big problem it's little things i'd say you know like um well if uh, a forum where you're discussing synth stuff is seen as being just for guys because 90% of the people there say are guys or they're going to end up talking about other guy things while they're there before you know it, you've got like a sub form there just for discussing like porn or something <laughs> and then it's like well there's no way I'm you know, going to be interested in going there it's something that's signalling you're I not welcome here we're going to be objectifying one you. of the things that one of the problems with the sort of the current sort of forums that that exists like if you if you've got a common problem and you search for it on the internet and the first result is gear slots yeah that is signaling what, you're not what are you here. gonna yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like what what the fuck i know <laughs> <laughs> i know can no we one swear on this yes, yes. Like, 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 yeah. 
on that note, I know no one likes being told how to talk, but it can make a difference. Like, and just things like say, instead of saying your man cave, just saying your cave. Yeah, that's, you're no longer signalling to any women present. You're not going to want one of these. I think. I think in the case of yeah, like that, this is not for you. Like the the, the gear slots thing. It's like you, you look at that and it's like, how could you ever recommend this to like a youngster mm. growing up? Is mm. that this is the place where you're going to solve the problem you've got with your MIDI control or yeah, something like that. Yeah, to a young person. I think a lot of it is like, like on the internet in particular, the tone of voice obviously doesn't come across. Yeah. When yeah. somebody's joking, that doesn't come across. Yeah. There's also is... a lot of subtle things that you can't say for sure. Someone's definitely being sexist, but it seems like it's statistically a lot of the time it happens one way more than the other. Like if, say, you're asking a question and if you're a woman, they'll assume that you don't know anything. If you're a man, they'll assume you do mm. know that, but you're just yeah. asking this one particular thing. It's, that happens a lot. It's the, t- yeah, the, the type of reply and the information delivered implies yeah. an assumption yeah, of knowledge yeah. on behalf, behalf like, of the question. If you're a woman into tech going into a shop trying to buy something and you happen to be with a guy, it will always be the guy that you're with that they will talk to, not you. Isn't you could ask any question, they'll answer him, not you. Incidentally, yeah, I've gotten into arguments with the staff in PC World. Before. Oh, about how much RAM you needed to do? Oh, uh, yeah, it was it was something random. Like, we can get out the calculator like, if you want. Oh, you need this? No, I don't. I, I know exactly what I need. You know, yeah. No, we could, I can do the maths if you want. Is is this by this by this by this refresh rate? <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, but it's yeah, it's that assumption. It's like in the same way that if you phone, like, well, I've had like been next to the person receiving this where like the phone call comes mm-hmm. in and it's like oh i need help with this product mm-hmm. and it's a lady that's answering mm-hmm. it so they go no no I, I need to speak to someone about it it's like mm-hmm. no no i can answer that question yeah. Like, yeah oh oh i thought you were the, the yeah exactly it's like literally it's similar to like, companies hire booth babes it doesn't help oh, yeah that's it <laughs> so in my day job i i tend to I'm contracted out quite a bit so I tend not to see like the end client face to face quite often but sometimes I am pulled in as like a you know to to talk tech in a meeting sort of thing and there's a, there's always this sort of weird sort of like point in the meeting where they realize that I'm the one that's doing the technical side of things mm-hmm. and you can see the look on the face change it's like you, the assumptions are just like it's, it's bizarre like you, you're going through this like <laughs> Wait, what? You know, I've got like wearing a wire or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm saying some elaborate prank. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would like to think that things will like are getting better. It's difficult because I don't see it from the other side. I can't. They are getting better, but through active work, it's not yeah. just happening yeah. by itself. Yeah. People are having to be reminded. It's things like affirmative action. And in the long term, you know, things shouldn't be... Well, people should not be segregated. The notation from the tumblers may be, but not the the girls from the boys or anything like that. Yeah. Um, But in the meantime, you need a a bit of, uh, you know, teaching girls solding, for instance, just to counteract how much um, boys are told from day one, oh, you should do this, you'll like this. And girls are told, oh, this isn't for you. So you play with this, you play with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, the interesting things is that it's we've gone from having all this like music making hardware and all that sort of thing, and everything's moved more and more and more to software and more everything in the box, everything mm-hmm. hiding inside a laptop. And things have become like impenetrable. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you, uh, at least for me, I feel like weirdly detached when I'm making music on a computer, which I have to have a, a MIDI keyboard to play things in. Mm. Um, 
I can't drag notes on a on a um, yeah. Hmm. It's got to be. I've got to do it. I can't bring myself to do it any other way. Um, the opposite. <laughs> you're the opposite, but you're a strange case. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but what's weird is like things have started going a little bit the other way because people have are presumably finding the same thing, and there's there's more and more like elaborate live performance controllers and things like that. Mm. Um, coming out and like the companies are desperate to suggest new ways to interact with new, a piece of software exactly new ways to interact with software and I think the whole sort of modular sense and Eurac thing is probably born out of not wanting to use a computer to do everything mm. it's fascinating because it's taken things in like different experimental directions people doing mm. modules that do things you'd, you'd never even think of doing in any and other it, way. Yeah, I suppose also that it couldn't be justified as commercial products on any other platform. Like exactly. They couldn't almost be standalone products. Exactly. Because it'd be too, it just wouldn't make financial sense to make These them. things are so niche as well that it can, it's almost can only exist in small it's an international communities. cottage industry. Yeah, it's yeah. an international cottage industry. It's it exactly where it is. Yeah. Yeah, because not, I mean, apart from Roland, I think, has dabbled in it, but even then they sort of formed it out to somebody else. I guess maybe Waldorf is uh, the biggest one I think of that's like, like big manufacturers. Big manufacturers. Yeah, I suppose. Actually making them themselves. Yeah, as yeah. Well. I think m- most of these things are made. Well, I had the Waldorf, I reviewed the NW1. Oh, did you? Gave it the worst review of any. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> it basically didn't work properly. Oh, it was no. set for review, which is really, really bad. Oh, about, what, about you now? No, no, no. It just wasn't ready for review. Like, literally, oh, the software right, wasn't right, ready. Right. I, I managed to crash the unit, which I've never managed with any oh, no. any product good. I've ever yeah. played with. I managed to crash oh, it, which is never great in uh, when you're on record, basically. Mm. But it, it was it found it kind of hilarious how there's, like, all these niche industry products, like the yeah. Stepper Acid, which I've also reviewed. And it's like... <laughs> Thank you for that, that works, by the way. <laughs> like, it worked perfectly, but the... Big company's product did not. I don't That's know what curious. that says. I did make sure it worked before I said it. <laughs> 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 if only Waldorf had done the same thing. We did Seems have obvious. long nights for that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going... It's a cottage... In, I, who knows how long it'll last, whether mm-hmm. it'll, it'll continue to sort of evolve or whether... It's too big to go away, surely, now. Well, we used to have this model of the music industry where most people... Uh, well, going way back, you used to have people would have a piano and gather around the piano and play music. Then the recorded music came along, so we had the record industry, and uh, a few people would be musicians, and most people would just passively consume it again, much like iPads and things. They're just not creating stuff; they're just passively consuming it. Uh, now, uh, thanks to everyone having, say, a laptop with some software on, everyone can make their own music if they're so inclined, and that's great. It really democratizes it. Uh, pretty much, you know, at least in, in um, you know developed countries, pretty much anyone can make fantastic sounding music using software, um, which is nice. But um, that means all the people, um, let's see, who want to stand out from that. Uh, that's, I think, to a large extent, why they're going into analog. Because again, it is one of those things where it kind of proves that. Uh, you know, you, you, this is your passion, this is your, your single-minded obsession, this is something you're, you're going to be spending all your spare income on to just get something that's a little mm. bit different, that differentiates yeah, different yourself. Time. The financial commitment is almost yeah. a demonstration of your commitment to music. Yeah. I think to a large extent, yeah, that's um, why analog modulars are coming into fashion, because it's just something that you can't do with plugins, and pretty much the only thing you can't do with plugins. 
Mm. Well, even though there is now this VCV rack, you know, and there's like the soft tube modular as well. Oh, soft tube one, yeah. Yeah, how similar um, do a lot of these things sound? I mean, I, I use that for I've like, used my the reactor stuff, blocks. But... Yeah, so... I haven't, I've never, basically, I've not tried anything that I've tried, mm. and I've only tried those that VCV rack thing briefly. But mm. the key point with it is it is running Olivier's code yeah. for like clouds and for elements and mm. things like that. It really just is the software running yeah. on a computer. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in the case of something like clouds, I mean, apart from like you, I mean, you might have a difference on the DA conversion, but the actual the rest of essence, pretty essence much, of it should be there. Yeah, it's just, it? that is just mm. a, a piece of maybe software. the CV control and things like that. But. I think it, we may get into things like filters, where it's, and I've not compared them, but I, yeah. like, I still sort of, like some Luddite, yeah. I still feel like filters are not right. At it's what not point, some... I'm curious as to, yeah. What, what I do love about, of. like, Eurac filters is that, is, like we were saying earlier, the instability of them, and if you can mm -hmm. catch them at the right point, and then they sometimes kind of go off the rails a little yeah, bit, and it's like, oh my god, that's Yeah, exactly. I that love the wasp. It's cheap. It's tiny. It's multi-mode. It's versatile, and it sounds nasty in yeah. a really good way. That's the good kind of cheap I've been talking about. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because <laughs> it sounds like this untamed beast that you're just trying to kind of control, but you can't mm. control it. It's got a mind of its own. You're no, right in the like, no software will sound like a wasp. No, well. like it's just it's just too weird. I think theoretically it might be possible one day, but we're nowhere near there yet, as yeah. far as I can tell. So, it's, and it would be like for the sheer amount of work for one person to do it yeah. to make a thing that costs 60 pounds mm -hmm. exactly that's a real that's, sort that's of the beauty the thing. of it I mean you might be able to kind of fake it in a way that at the moment if you can do it already is an arduous task there's someone who did like uh, an analog style series on like a Nintendo DS using <laughs> the, the DS10 yeah using the core one that's yeah. great I've used that I really like it it's a nice series of EPs and it's kind of hard to tell but I mean it must have been a lot of hard work whereas if I'm make just a simple tune and then run it through this thing it sounds like this wild unkempt tame, untamed beast and, and mm. it just comes naturally it's so easy to make yeah. it sound like that it's hard work to try and make plugins sound like that kind of have yeah, that raw energy mm. whereas with, with that it just happens anyway vibe. i do find with plugins i am constantly trying to make them sound more unstable yeah more sort of mm. less clinical in there yeah mm. and that's that for me that is that whole thing of when i go to a machine i i want more than what, what yeah. I'm playing. And like, there's definitely something to said for a sound that sounds like it's teetering on the edge of going wrong. Mm. Like that, there's something really nice about that, especially like in live gigs and things where things are going loud and it's like this whole thing sounds like it could go completely wrong at any minute, but it sounds fantastic. Mm. There's that one bit in at the heart of it all where it sounds like it's slowing down, like it just can't, the sequencer can't quite keep up. Yeah, it's like that. fake tripping up the midi sequence. It's the same when people are singing in such a way they're almost shouting it's like breaking their mm. voices. Mm. People love that kind of sound of something. You're being so emotional it's almost yeah. breaking the yeah. very tools to the, yeah, exactly. making the music, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Cool. Any other things to get off the chest? Are we, okay. all, are we all pretty good? We sort of <laughs> not, not in, we've only got like an hour or two left. So. Right, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of things I could talk about for far too long. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about the Matrix. No, no, this no occasion. that's far too much of it. They should have had Switch, Switch. It would have been so good. Anyway. Because Switch was going to be a different sex in real life as she was in the Matrix, okay. you see. Uh, and yeah. how was... That would have been really good, but they, they didn't do that in the end. At the very least, it's in Ready Player One. Isn't it? Is it Ready Player One? Yes. There is <clears> a, a male character in the virtual world who is female in the real world. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's, that's, I've just that's ruined, cool. that, ruined that for anyone who's... Because <laughs> it is... Uh, 
plot twist. Oh, I see. This is a spoiler cast. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank Thank you you for making the track. Thanks for having me in your house. Lovely. Anytime. (laughs) So do you want to have a go on me now? Yeah, let's play. All right. There you have it. So this was our chat up in Stoke. Uh, it was actually a sunny day, which was remarkable and not what was expected at all. Uh, I sort of was left thinking that Stoke was actually quite pretty. Um, which I don't know if is the consensus. Apologies if you're from Stoke. God, I'm sorry. Uh, so, yes, I think, I mean, there's loads to deconstruct there and there's a million little talking points and things. But I think the kind of the main one, um, the one I want to sort of think about and, and try and work on is just being mindful of the ways that, that we are making this industry welcoming or not um, for women, basically. And it, and it extends to all things, even trivial stuff, just wording, the wording that we use when we write things, you know, saying, hey, guys, and, and things like this. Those kinds of wordings just hint and they add up and compound to make it appear, if you were a woman, that this isn't necessarily for you. I think that's got to change. Um, there was a really interesting thing. I, I think the point that um, what Zoe was saying about the way the technology or the way computing was marketed in the early 80s to boys, I think is just such a profound and significant point. And actually, funnily enough, at that Ambience Chasers gig that I mentioned at the start, I had a really good chat with husband and wife teachers uh, team. Well, I guess they, I don't know if they work at the same school, but both teachers. And they were talking about the fact that there was this, this sort of shocking imbalance now in the amount of girls who were signing up for the computer science course um, in the schools. Um, And it was sort of heartbreaking, but they weren't sure what to do to redress that balance. And I don't necessarily have any solutions except to say that I think there is great work being done um, in terms of encouraging, you know, girls to, to get into to computer science and to, the, just these things are not gendered. They should, and they are not gendered. They're just things like Zoe says, if you're interested in puzzles and working things out, then it's, it's just a, a person thing. It's a, it's a personality thing. It's not a gender thing. And so, you know, if you are, you know, if you basically are a person who is listening to this and you have some power to try and encourage or to, to try and, um, promote those kinds of technologies those kinds of interests to young women um you should be doing it we should all be doing it and we shouldn't act like um you know there is any bias there's any suggestion that any aspect of this is is more interesting to blokes because it's just a techie thing and that makes it a bloke say it just is it's just not true it just isn't a thing um and it needs to that needs to stop but we have to stop thinking about it in those ways. It's just, it's just an interest and it's interesting to everyone. Um, and so we just need to try and not make it weird. <laughs> I'm making it weird by talking about it, but it's just to try and be mindful, be mindful of what you say, um, be mindful of how you word things. And the fact that it is such a fucking shame that 
that all of the the forums have names like Muff Wiggler and Gear Sluts. That is fucking stupid. It really is. It's a real shame that they're called that. And you might not think so, but what if you're, you know, imagine you're trying to encourage your eight-year-old niece to learn about modular synthesizers. Where do you send her to? Do you send her to Gear Sluts and Muff Wiggler? It's just, that's a fucking, it is fucking stupid. Um, so um, I don't have a tremendously great solution because I don't know if they're going to rename those forums, but do you know what I mean? It's just like those are like touch points, linchpins of building knowledge and sharing knowledge to do with these fields. Um, that's what they're called. So that's not ideal. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. So anyway, please check out Zoe and Nina's projects at transsistorsoundslabs.com. That is transsistorsoundslabs.com. They have the stepper acid, which is an absolutely awesome Eurorack sequencer. Um, I have had that for quite some time now, and I use it with the early years. It powers sequences there, and it's an awesome improvisational sequencer as well. Um, check it out and future modules that they're coming out with, transsistorsoundslab.com. And I want to thank our sponsors, Signal Sounds, again. Thank you, Signal Sounds. They are awesome people. If you're thinking about buying some modular gear, some synthy gear, some drum machines, any manner of thing, or you need some advice, call them up. They are awesome people. Um, and browse their website at signalsounds.com. And so I shall see you next month, where we're going to be talking to someone called Olivier Gillet from Mutable Instruments, because I recorded a podcast with him earlier this month. So tune in for that. <laughs> Thanks very much.